This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is a Pro Wrestling Illustrated podcast. I'm your host, PWI senior writer, Al Castle, with my co-host, as always, Brian Solomon. What's happening, Brian? Not much. Happy to be here, as always, Al. Are you a Super Bowl guy? Um, if I get invited to a party, I go. <laughs> I'm one of those I'm one of those guys. We're, we're a baseball and wrestling household. So Yeah, same know. here. Some <laughs> basketball has come in there with my kid getting into basketball, so we've decided in the last few months that we're Nets fans which has been a difficult time to be a Nets fan over just the, the last couple of weeks. But the Super Bowl always overlaps with my nephew's uh, birthday party. So we all get together and uh, a good time, a good, a fair amount of, of wrestling representation. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I watched it. it I, I enjoyed the game. I don't watch a lot of football, but it was a really good game. Um, as an outsider who rarely watches, it definitely feels incredibly overproduced these days, but <laughs> yeah. what are you going to do? Uh, yeah, The Undertaker was in a com- uh, one of the commercials with Kevin Hart, right? Yep, I'm told Ty- I didn't see it, but I'm told Tyrus was in a commercial with the NWA Championship. He was. They had a commercial for Gutfeld, the Fox News show that he's on every every night, and and he's sitting there with the belt, so it was crazy. Plus, of course, WWE's usual yeah. Yeah. Uh, commercial, which I have to say, it's fallen pretty far from that classic 1999 one that kind of started the ball rolling. Yeah, it was a few seconds in before I even realized. I was like, was yeah. that Michael Cole's voice in the background? And then I think all we saw was uh, Charlotte. And and this this like sparked a, a conversation with um, a friend of mine who was there who was a wrestling person that it it clearly like WWE loves putting Charlotte out there. And, and this is a conversation we've had, but I feel like Charlotte's a bigger deal to the non-fans than to the fans, right? Because possibly, yeah. Because I mean, like Charlotte, really? That's who, who you're going to showcase? I mean, I, you would have thought it would have been. I don't know, Roman or even <laughs> Becky or or Cody or Bianca Belair. I mean, I just don't put Charlotte all the way uh, at the top. But I guess the lineage, you know, that she's Ric Flair's daughter. It's a good story, you know. Yeah, although if you're if you're not really a big fan, you're not even going to know that from watching that yeah. commercial. So it's kind of weird. Yeah. Anyhow, we got plenty of uh, uh, to talk about in our own sport or pseudo sport. It is. Um, the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Achievement Awards uh, issue the year in wrestling uh, out now in print and uh, digital. Uh, so in a moment, we are going to go through all the awards, uh, give our thoughts. Uh, these are chosen by you, the readers. So you can't get mad at us uh, at this one. And um, also, uh, suffice to say, a whole lot going on since we last got together uh, with the Royal Rumble. WrestleMania is kind of coming uh, into view. Uh, we have a uh, a better idea of what the main event of WrestleMania is, although I'd say it's still not a hundred percent clear, and and a fair amount of uh, debate about that, and what should be the WrestleMania main event. Um, so we'll we'll talk a bit about that. Uh, but as I mentioned, uh, the Pro Wrestling Illustrated April issue, the Year in Wrestling, available now at pwi-online.com. This is one of the big tentpole issues, I think, outside of um, the 500 and the other big ranking issues we do. Uh, certainly, you know, before I was working for the magazine and and as a kid and uh, a, a fan, this was one that you couldn't miss, right? The um, the, the year in wrestling, all the awards, and again, as voted on 
by you. A great looking uh, issue, not just the awards, but uh, a recap of the year. Lots of photos that you haven't seen before. Um, the top 10 stories of the year, uh, title change, history, and uh, so much more. I think we've got the, do we have the, the unofficial official awards that people always get a kick out of? Did we get those in this year? I think we did. Yeah, we did. Yep. And then uh, uh, memories from uh, the staff. So an excellent issue. You don't want to miss it. PWI-online.com if you want to have it delivered uh, right to your home. Go ahead and subscribe. Don't miss an issue. Um, or uh, thankfully, I've, I've seen some of these on the newsstands. Uh, so hopefully you could find them too. Uh, let's jump into it. Don't want to spend the whole show doing it, but but I do think we should go through um, the awards winner by now. A lot of you uh, folks know this, so I don't think we're revealing anything as much as giving our thoughts on it. Let's start with Rookie of the Year and with 53% of the vote. Brian, this year's Rookie of the Year is Hook. Um, and I got to say, I don't know, surprised, but uh, I thought this was going to Logan Paul. And uh, Logan Paul came in for, uh, first runner-up with 20%. To me, the, the the best celebrity crossover wrestler ever. Um, and at, at this point, I'm not even sure we call him that because, you know, he seems pretty committed to this. And it looks like um, he is um, he's going to be wrestling Seth Rollins at WrestleMania. And I'll say now, I, I think that they may steal the whole weekend. I might I think that might be the best match of the whole weekend. Logan Paul and Seth Rollins. And that's how much confidence I've got. I've gotten Logan after whatever it is, three or four matches. Um, so uh, that said, Hook certainly kept kept the 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 more full schedule, more of a regular um, uh, wrestler on uh, AEW, and at his height was really really over. I think you know he suffered um, the same fate of a lot of other AEW wrestlers in that it there's just so many people that they have a hard time keeping the focus and the momentum on anyone, and they just kind of lose their way. And I think that is the case with with Hook, who I feel from that high that we saw in the spring and the summer where, you know, every time he'd come out, the, the crowd would go absolutely not nuts. Um, I think, I think he's fallen a couple of rungs, but what did you think about hooks uh, uh, rookie year? And I think uh, our rules are two years in the business. We might've changed that, but um, either way, he, he qualified anyone. Yeah. I think it's under two years. Uh, of course, the problem is with wrestling is in, in a lot of cases, you, you don't really get to, really see someone's work until they've been in the yeah. business for at least a year so i mean a true rookie in wrestling is tough but hook actually was i mean we did get to see him from the very beginning um i'm with you logan paul would have gotten my vote and actually when i voted in the observer awards logan paul did get my vote but um hook you know i think part of the reason is with some of these celebrity wrestlers that come in I think a lot of fans just don't automatically think of them as quote unquote rookies. It's like they're in a different category when it's a celebrity guest wrestler who, you know, comes in now and then, whereas like hook is on the regular roster. He's on the website. We see him on TV. And I think that's like a subconscious thing that goes on. We think of those guys like, or Braun breaker or somebody like that. We think of them more as so-called rookies. I think he got off to a great start. I also think, I mean, the second half of the year, he really hasn't been on TV all that much. They kind of like sort of gave up on that huge push that he was getting. So, I mean, he started strong. I don't think he finished strong. But, um, you know, it's the Rookie of the Year award is always a, a weird award because you can't you're, – you're required to predict the future, you know. Yeah. But based on what they actually did, um, Logan Paul, to me, would have been an easy choice. I mean, even the way he's presented on the card, he's already – 
you know, one of the biggest stars on any show that they put him on. That's a whole different category to me. So, you know, but the people have spoken. Yep. Uh, and the other runners up, um, Paige Van Zandt at a second runner up. That's one's really puzzling to me. Bizarre. I, did, Bizarre. Did, she, did she wrestle more than once even? I, I don't Unless there, those are a lot of her OnlyFans subscribers. That <laughs> yeah. I'll, I mean, I, I, I think the little we saw of her, um, she was really good. I mean, more in just a presentation and the mic work and um, the character work than necessarily in the ring where she was fine, but we didn't see that much of her. And Tony D'Angelo, I, I like him uh, as a big uh, pick in, in this mix. You know, he was part of that reboot in NXT where people really soured on it, um, uh, where it was more gimmick heavy. Uh, but he's come a long way, I think, from uh, early on. So um, I think that's fair. Uh, let's go. Uh, most improved wrestler of the year. Maybe this might be a place I would have expected to see Tony D'Angelo more. Uh, it goes to Mandy Rose at 33%. Um, first runner up, Madcap Moss, Julia Hart at se second runner up, and uh, 2.0 at uh, third runner up. Um, you know, I'm, I'm now knowing what we know about Mandy and how it turned out, this one is a little bit sort of like, uh, that's kind of too bad. You know, I, I don't want to overstate it as a tragedy, but. Um, she was really good, you know. Uh, Mandy, Mandy Rose had a lot going for her, and it's too bad. And I and I think the part of it that that is especially too bad is um, I don't know that we see her back. Or I mean, I I, I in in part because she's making so much money somewhere uh, else that you know, in in a weird way, sort of like how you lose wrestlers John Cena, The Rock to to Hollywood, where they can see you know I can make how much money doing what. Uh, it's the same thing for her. I mean, what what is the incentive for her? And it's not like she was on the main roster, you know, making uh, millions wrestling in front of 60,000, 70,000 fans and stadium shows. Um, she was working NXT uh, every week, essentially demoted from where she was a year earlier when she was on the main roster. Uh, but she got a lot better. Again, I don't I don't see the incentive for her coming back. Well, she she really found herself in NXT, and I think that's how you, she earned this award. You know, she she really got lost in the shuffle on the main roster, I think, to a certain degree. And they reinvented her in NXT. You know, that's why sometimes this most improved award, you know, it doesn't always mean, I think some fans get confused or misled, it doesn't always mean just most improved in the ring. It, it could mean a lot of things, most improved presentation, most improved uh, from from a push point of view from from success you know titles and all this kind of thing and and I she came a huge way she she was an example to me of an NXT success story in the way that somebody who didn't really seem to be doing much on the main roster can just be reinvented and do something it's a shame what happened with her from a fan perspective but it still, you know, doesn't shouldn't take away that she deserved this award because you know I heard some people saying like, well, I wish they never, I'm sure they wish they never gave her that one now in hindsight, and I'm like, no, it has nothing to do with that. So she's gone, whether she's gone or not, she still was deservedly most improved wrestler of 2022, and, th and that stands regardless of how it ended or if she ever wrestles again. Yeah, I don't have a huge problem when I see the runners up. I mean, I think it was a, a fair choice. Uh, and again, I just I hope. Um, look, if if she's done with wrestling, uh, that's fine. Uh, if if it's what's uh, best for her, but you know, I think people forget that she came out of Tough Enough, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, maybe the the last and and one of the most successful wrestlers to come out of Tough Enough. Um, and uh, I remember that year, you know, she was kind of cast as the heel, and it was the other one. What was her name? 
she since passed away. Who, who won Tough Enough um, that year? Wasn't it? Uh, it was like a. I, I don't want to give the wrong name, but anyway, sadly. But but um, uh, she's had a hell of a career. It came out of that system. It, it's a you know it does show that that maybe she did have a real passion for it. You know maybe for her, um, in in a roundabout way, her her looks could have worked for her detriment because she was so attractive. Um, and and I think uh, uh, maybe people didn't take her seriously uh, that much with what she brought to the table in the ring uh, because she did seem kind of cut from that mold of the early 2000s WWE where right. she could have fit in like, you know, a, a lingerie match or something like that. And then I guess, you know, her side hustle, <laughs> you only reinforced that. Uh, but uh, she had a lot going for her, and uh, I hope we haven't seen the last of her. Comeback of the year. I got to say, I didn't get this one at all, uh, both the, the winner and really all the runners-up. Um, the, the winner went to uh, Taya Valkyrie, who I think is a hell of a talent. I think uh, great this year back in Impact. You know, clearly she's better off there than she was in XT, where she was doing um, nothing. Uh, but really, I mean, uh, uh, and, and and part of it was that I think there were some some really good candidates this year and um, none of them even came in in the runners up. So first runner up, Bailey, who I don't, I don't know want to say underwhelming, but I don't know that she's you know set the world on fire since she came back in August. Uh, Johnny Gargano, who um, flopping might be overstating it, but um, again another guy who who I think it's underperformed uh, since coming back. And Alexa Bliss, and they say the same for her. Um, none of these people I, I think have had very successful comebacks and this was the year of Cody Rhodes you know I mean I don't, I don't know how how Cody didn't run away with this well the tricky thing yeah no you're right and I mean it's nothing against somebody like Taya Valkyrie but when you see somebody at that level in the business win an award like this a lot of times it says to me that there weren't a lot of big comebacks that year yeah. um, but but here's the thing with Cody um, I think some people may have hesitated just because of what happened with him. It was like it started out as being maybe the comeback of the year, and then he got derailed for like yeah. what it was, half the year. So, I mean, like that would have given me pause in voting for Cody. Like, in fact, and I was very consciously aware of that in, in voting for him in an award like that, um, just because of what went down. I think on paper, it should have been the comeback of the year. But again, so then it became tough of like, well, who do we vote for? Like they're really, it just might've been a, a weaker year in, in, in that category. But this was also the year of, of Bray Wyatt and, and, uh, um, you really want to vote for that. <laughs> I know, but I mean, to, to me, he, uh, when I look at these runners up, he's at least in the mix. I mean, right. I, I think his comeback meant more than any of these uh, others, even if it ultimately kind of disappointed and, and flopped. Um, it was, some of this, I think, is also like the interpretation of comeback of the year. I mean, is it um, you can interpret it? And I think this would go for, for Cody and for Bray kind of separating how well they ended up doing from the actual moment of coming back. They right. were both really for Cody. To me, it was one of the biggest ever the WrestleMania stage, the reaction he got. Uh, it was huge. Bray, again, the guy who was underwhelmed, I think, since since coming back. But. Um, the build to that was really something else. And, and when he finally showed up at the end of that show, uh, it was a big deal. And uh, I think that's my my real issue is that none of these people felt like a big deal when, when they came back. Bailey, maybe the most of them. I mean, on, on, at SummerSlam with, with Becky uh, and this new faction. But 
you know, to me, that might have been good enough for like a, a third runner up. Uh, yeah. Next up, uh, inspirational wrestler uh, of the year. Um, I could quibble with this, but I don't have a huge problem with all of it. Thirty-two uh, percent uh, with thirty-two percent, John Moxley uh, takes the award. First runner-up, uh, Liv Morgan, uh, then Joe Doring and Josh Alexander. I think all these people are inspirational in their own ways. Uh, obviously, Moxley. When you think that early in the year he was in in uh, rehab for his um, alcohol issues. Uh, to come back and to me really have been the MVP of AEW and uh, the the kind of saving grace for the in what was otherwise a, a pretty difficult year for them. Um, I think it's great. I think the way he handled it uh, was great. You know that that there was um, he had no shame about it. Uh, he acknowledged that he had an issue. He looked to take care of that issue, um, came back and addressed it and used it as a fuel to have one of the best years of his career and really lead his company, really be the leader where um, there was that that absence of leader, especially after the whole uh, CM Punk fiasco. So, yeah, I think he's a fine choice. Yeah, he really stepped up and, you know, it can't be overstated how beloved he is by AEW fans. I mean, they love him. They worship the ground he walks on. He could do no wrong. I mean, we certainly heard that and saw that when we gave – wrestler of the year uh or, or rather pwi 500's number yep. one spot to to roman reigns we heard that loud and clear but um you know so that that was kind of a, a an easy one and also we, you can't forget the fact of coming back from the personal struggles that he had with addiction and alcoholism and that kind of thing i mean that adds to i think him being an inspirational figure that and and you know he he was the workhorse like you said he came in 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 the post-punk situation he really stepped up to, in a way that he probably wouldn't have been called to do if punk had stuck around and he did what he had to do you know and he and he did it well yeah yeah uh i like Liv morgan being up here i think she was one of the the cooler stories in wwe over the last year and um you know one instance of really making a star i mean you think about live early in the year and um, you know, may, maybe fallen a couple of places since then, but uh, at the Rumble, a great performance. Uh, so cool for her. Um, Joe Doring had uh, cancer issues and came back from that. Josh Alexander, I think, has been a terrific impact champion. Glad to see him on this list. Again, a place where maybe I would have expected Cody, um, just because sort of everything Cody does is inspirational. That's sort of his gimmick is, is being an inspirational. Um, yeah. And I guess he got some votes, but not enough to, to earn a runner-up spot. Well, maybe he'll uh, get 2023. Yeah, yeah, we'll see how the next few weeks go. We'll have that conversation in a moment. Yep. Uh, most popular wrestler of the year. You just touched on it. I mean, I think it, it's part of the same conversation. John Moxley at 32%. Um, Roman Reigns. This is fascinating because uh, a Roman won most hated wrestler of the year a few years ago as a baby face. And here he's first runner up for most popular as a heel. Um, and then Bianca Belair. I'm sorry, CM Punk was at 11 and Bianca Belair at 8. Uh, again, not not to uh, you know overkill the Cody thing, um, but I, I think certainly if he hadn't gotten hurt, he'd be in this mix, right? And and maybe could have could have won it because he was uh, such a hot act. But uh, in in the absence, and, and I bring him up because I think it's so difficult to make baby. I don't know if it needs to be that difficult to to, to be a baby face and 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 market a baby face uh, in 2022 or 2023. Uh, but Moxley absolutely. Uh, to kind of, I, I think he embodies the the modern babyface, 
and the best of it where he's not <clears throat> kissing babies or, or anything like that, slapping hands with fans. So he has that cool edge. He almost has like that heel edge, kind of like the Steve Austin thing, right? The, the, the anti-hero thing, uh, but with a modern twist on it. And so it's easy. And I think this is a challenge that, that Cody has had over the years. And, and I worry that he'll have, again, if they do go all the way with him. And we saw it in AEW is that he's he's so kind of traditional in that babyface role that inevitably some fans are going to reject you. It's like you're too kind of saccharine, right? And Moxley's never had an issue with that. And, and I think he really has a character that's almost bulletproof to that because it is the cool rebel. I mean, he comes into wild thing, you know, how, how much cooler <laughs> can you be? You know? Well, we've seen that they could reject just about anybody if given the chance. I do think there's been a big shift in in my opinion, I don't. I, I'm not talking about AEW so much as as the WWE fan base, and I think maybe it's because AEW stole a lot of WWE fans. But that element of the fan base that tries to hijack the show or reject people that are getting pushes and things like the Batistas and the and you know uh, the Roman Reigns is that kind of thing or Cena, I feel like that has become less and less in recent years. Like. They really seem to be much more of a, I don't know what the word is, like a docile fan base. Mm -hmm. Like they will take what you give them. And again, I think it's because the more critical, smarter, quote unquote, fans may have migrated to a certain degree to AEW. Like the people who were rejecting Batista and cheering on Daniel Bryan like seven years ago, whatever it was, I think like the majority of those people or a lot of them, are strictly watching AEW right now. I really, really do. Because you don't see it as much. I think if they were still around, unfortunately, and I love Cody, and so I'm glad this is not happening, but if that fan base was still around, they already would have been crapping on him, in my opinion. They already would have been rejecting him. And we haven't seen a whiff of that yet. And I think part of it is that he comes across so very genuine. You really get the sense that even in a world of illusion and work shoots and all that, that this really is part of who he is as a person. Yeah. I believe that myself. I mean, I, I, you know, I've spoken to him personally and, and it comes across and I think people get that and they feel it and, and they like it. It's also a, a huge change of pace. You don't get characters like this anymore in wrestling. You know what I mean? Like, you know, what you get is like the ironic version, which is what Kurt Angle was, right? The ironic right. version of that. But he's like the genuine article. I, I think it's pretty cool. And it was already kind of put to the test at the Royal Rumble where where there yeah. was certainly a contingent that thought if if Sammy doesn't appear in the Rumble and win um, and, and Cody does, he's going to get that Batista treatment from, from Rumble 2014. And he didn't. You know, he fans were just happy to see him uh, win. So, um, Zane's another guy who maybe it's a timing thing. I mean, you'd think he would have done really well um, in in this voting, but late in the year, you know, he was still very kind of firmly uh, entrenched as a heel in uh, the bloodline, and it really was just the closing weeks of the year that he really, really came into his own as one of the more popular figures. Again, I think if you if you did voting again today, um, I think maybe Sami Zayn runs away with this. Uh, yeah. but but he did a time and, and we'll see by the end of the year uh how that works out he did he did have he was a vote getter i mean there's 31 percent uh, of votes that went to um others and he's the first mentioned uh in that group so i'm sure he did okay most hated wrestler of the year no surprise here mjf with 49 percent of the vote interestingly 
uh, Reigns is also the first runner-up for hated of the year, and, and uh, I just think that's so fascinating. <laughs> Make up your mind. Right? <laughs> um, the 5% goes to, to – I'm sorry, 7% goes to Jericho, and Sammy Guevara uh, rounds it out with uh, a 5%. Uh, yeah, not a lot to say to here. I mean, this is um, MJF's thing. I mean, he, he he's clearly, like, uh, hell-bent on being the heel of his generation, one of the greatest heels of all time. I got to say um, – I don't know how well it always works. It 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 uh, it feels a little put on sometimes, uh, and um, you know, there's definitely w- was a thought that uh, late last year when he won the title and they were sort of teasing this babyface run that maybe that was the time to go in with it, and and he used that as an opportunity to kind of double down and be doubly despicable, and um, you know, he's a world champion and and he's doing well. Um, I guess, you know, I don't, I don't know that, that AEW is, is um, you know, they're also competing with WrestleMania, WWE at, at its hottest in, in years. So it's going to be an uphill climb for them. But um, I don't know. I, I've, I had to interview MJF uh, uh, some months back and he's a hoot, right? I mean, he, he's like a, a super fun character, but it is always put on. Always, always, always. Right. And part of me... Uh, uh, respects and appreciates that because he is he is dedicated and committed to it like nobody else. Uh, but also, I don't know. I think it get a little bit old sometimes. <laughs> well, I I wrote a column about him a few issues ago, and he reached out to me, uh, and he was in character when he reached out to me. Which you know, I I sort of you'd say of, it's no character, but I mean, come on. I no, but I but he's not though. I know yeah. I know I know from enough people that he's not, and. Um, you know, I kind of know sold it a little bit, but I mean, that's what he, that's how he, I think he's in a different place now than he was even when he first came into AEW. I think it's almost like he's at an Andy Kaufman level of commitment these days. I yeah. really do think that, but the, here's the problem with, with this might be hurting him a little bit. And it's not just an MJF problem. I would never be somebody to advocate for doing for AEW doing monthly pay-per-views like WWE does. I don't think that would be good for them. But here's the problem. Now, you're seeing this with MJF and Danielson. It's a great idea for a feud. There's built-in heat there. There's a reason for the feud. But it feels like it's dragging on forever, and you're thinking, okay, they're going to wrestle at Revolution, and this has been going on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And in WWE, it would have been like, oh, later this month. But the, So the problem is this. Back when WWE was doing only, say, four pay-per-views a year the way that AEW does they had this whole thriving house show market so they would they would build up their angles and storylines on tv that would be paid off on the whole house show circuit for two or three months until you get to the pay-per-view which made everything make sense it made everything lucrative but AEW, at least up until like right now AEW never did house shows so like it just feels with these long-term angles that you're when you're waiting like two months for the guys to wrestle on pay-per-view, like it just starts to tread water and it's going nowhere because they're not taking it on, on the road for house shows They're The pay-per-view is months away. And so they just have to figure out ways each week to kind of keep it going somehow. And I think it hurts a lot of guys at the top. MJF is just one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, MJF, uh, comes up again in feud of the year, which went to MJF and CM Punk. Uh, I'm fine with that. I mean, uh, frankly, I don't think it was a great year for feuds, 
you know, the, the, the Sami Zayn bloodline stuff, I guess, isn't a feud. I mean, if there was a category for storyline of the year, it would have run away with it, but that really wasn't a feud. Um, so first runner-up is uh, Black Hole Combat Club and Jericho Appreciation Society. Uh, second runner-up, uh, Roman and Brock Lesnar. Uh, and uh, third runner-up, Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair. You know, I don't really think of any of those as these incredible, you know, uh, historic feuds. I'm not sure what I would have put in here. I mean, Seth and uh, Cody are in the uh, other vote-getters, and they had, you know, feud. If Again, if you take a different interpretation and not so much, you know, the bloodlust of two people wanting to kill each other, but just a series of terrific matches. They had three great matches on, on pay-per-view um, that you could argue got, you know, better with each one and then the big crescendo in, in Hell in the Cell. So um, I think that would have made sense. The other one I'm surprised not to see here um, was uh, for the same reasons because of the series of matches was uh, the Briscoes and FTR who had I I don't know if all three were last year I think they might have been um, no maybe the yeah I think they, they, they all were they were all in 2022 I think part of the part of what hurt that is they were not able to really build it up properly on television. So you yeah. can't have much. The last of a one feud. would have been, I think, uh, too late to be right. a, a part of the voting. Yeah, and and you can't have much of a feud when there's no. You can't even have one half of the feud on television. You know, right? So like it had to sort of be this. It was just strictly three matches. I mean, really, that's what it was. So maybe that's why it lost out. I think CM Punk and MJF, even though it was very early in the year, and for people, I think with, that 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 what what hurts it is that with everything that went on with both these guys by the middle of the year, you almost forget that this was that much of an issue early in the year. Right, but I still do think it's worthy because, I mean, that feud was so hot at the beginning of the year and it could have been so much more. It probably probably would have dominated the whole year if, if you know, what had happened ha hadn't happened. Um, I still think it deserved it. I still think it was the hottest, most memorable feud of the year, even if it was a while ago at this point. Um, I think also this, this maybe speaks to the possibility of may maybe this award should be couched more like feud slash angle of the year. Mm -hmm. if, we, if we want want ever wanted to go that route, you know, it's a little more, it's a little less kayfabe than usual. But I mean, then, then because your easy pick then is the bloodline, which is the most memorable angle storyline, whatever you want to call it for sure of 2022. Yeah, it's interesting. I, maybe it's a, a conversation to have with uh, Kevin. Uh, Kevin did create another award a couple of years ago, Independent Wrestler of the Year. And this year it goes to Matt Cardona. He ran away with it with 42% of the vote. I got to say, I mean, just, just this one's going to be a tough one um, um, to judge because I think by the nature of the award, um, a lot of the best candidates here are not going to be on everybody's radar. So um, Cardona's kind of gimmick was that he was like dominating the the independent scene. So not surprising to see him um, run away with it. But also you could argue that it, it's kind of not really the spirit of the award, right? Because Cardona is, uh, I mean, he was a, a major league wrestler, a WWE wrestler who's taking that act now on, on the road. I mean, you can argue that it's almost like, um, what the honky tonk man <laughs> did for years, and he might be still doing for all I know, you know, <laughs> wrestling yeah. at your, your local high school or, or whatever, and, and taking the cachet of having worked in the metal mania. And, and I'm not comparing, you know, in terms of what they bring to the table. I think Cardona's um, no. a real talent, just headlined the NWA title uh, match over the pay per view over the weekend. Uh, but I also, um, 
and maybe I'm wrong here, but I don't think of 2022 as like his big year, right? I mean, I thought that would have been the year before that where he, um, he, and, and even maybe 2020 where he really kind of, he started collecting all the belts and all, and all the, uh, the companies. So uh, yeah, I don't know if I have a huge thought on this one. Well, a couple of things with him. First of all, I think he's the definition of the kind of person that should win an award like this. I mean, who really, he's somebody who has raised his value on the independent circuit. He's making a living doing this, you know, devoid of, of being tied down to any major company. He's he's kind of working the system to his benefit. He's all over the place in terms of where he's working. I mean, that's the definition of it. And as far as like him being in that mold of like ex WWE guy, you know, milking it on the indies. I think he's totally reinvented himself. I think it's been so long at this point that I honestly think that I, I I'd even go so far as to say that there's probably a bunch of, of fans of a certain age going to see him at these shows that aren't even that totally familiar with him being Zack yeah. Ryder in the first place at this point. So, I mean, like, I, I don't think I'd hold that against him. I do not think he's coasting on that the way we, you know, used to see like the 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 hockey tonks and the Jimmy Snookas and the doinks of the world just kind of live on the indies for eternity. You know, this is a different kind of a phenomenon. He's he's been uh, gathering up some old trademarks, right? I mean, that hasn't that been the uh, the story? Yeah. Doesn't he, he own the, I think he owns the Zack Ryder name, or he was fighting for it, or whatever. I don't know what leg he has to stand on legally with that. It seems weird to me, but I mean, well, I guess you could, the claim is that if they don't use it or do anything with yeah. it, that it can lapse, you know? So maybe that's what it is. Do you see him as a guy that, that Triple H would be interested in, in bringing in? I, I don't know that it works as well back in WWE. I don't know if it works as well either, but I still do see him as somebody that they might want to bring back. Um, I don't see, it's weird because, you know, like when Cody comes back, it's different because people have really been seeing him on national television every week, whereas Cardonia, Cardona, for as successful as he's been, is a much more of an underground kind of figure for underground fans. And I don't know how much of that, how much of the WWE fan base overlaps with that. But I mean, even bring, bringing him back as Zack Ryder, I do think they could do some things with him. He, I, I don't think he's going to be a main event guy or anything like that, though. He's not going to be like a Cody coming back. Yeah. And if, if that's what he's looking for, then he might not want to come back. But I mean, I think that he could come back and have a better run than he had before, or at least just as good. Yeah. Speaking of Cody Rhodes, uh, he wins match of the year with Seth Rollins, um, their June 5th match, uh, Hell in a Cell. I got no problem with this one. Um, and just to go through the runners up uh, Gunther and, and Sheamus from Ca Clash of the Castle, first runner up, a terrific match. Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar from SummerSlam, and uh, the Briscoes and FTR at uh, third place uh, or third runner up, I should say. Um, you know, Cody and Seth, I think this is the, the right choice. Reminds me a little of, uh, and, and bear with me here, of of the other really famous Hell in a Cell match was Undertaker and, and Mankind um, in that it, it may be less about everything that happened in the match and more about kind of the lasting image in, in your mind. I mean, I think, you know, the, the what you remember about this match was Cody's shoulder, right? And him taking off that robe and it being all purple. And... Um, uh, you know, we talked about it. He was already a super hot act coming back at WrestleMania. And, and this with this, he almost transcended into like immortal. You know, this, yeah. this it was like the night that he became uh, a, a wrestling legend. And um, that said, different from Undertaker and Mankind, which, which I don't think was a good match at all. This was a really good match. And they, had, you know, they had a really good match with 
with Cody working with with one arm, and, and if anything, it made it a better match because, um, you know, so much of what was compelling about it was was actually watching this guy struggle through this injury and tough it out. Um, it, it sort of reminds me, in, in, and we might have talked about this after it happened, of, of Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels at um, WrestleMania 24, where it was the imperfections of that match that I thought made it better because you were watching something real. You were watching a, a close to 60-year-old Ric Flair try to hang in there and, and not quite be able to do it, and the bumps didn't look quite right. But but in in those imperfections, that what what told the story. And it's the same thing. It was Cody favoring that arm and not being able to throw every punch with everything behind it that uh, made it that much kind of gripping, that much more gripping. And um, uh, I agree. You know, interesting that they had a great match at WrestleMania in front of 70,000 fans and that huge stage. And and really the one that you remember was on a, I didn't remember what the pay-per-view was, but at the hell, I guess hell it was the cell. pay-per-view. Yeah, but I mean, otherwise kind of a, a, a an off month, forgettable pay-per-view um and it it had the match of the year yeah because it had the emotion behind it so like i i may have voted for well i don't think it would be in the running because it was late but the dog collar match with the briscoes and ftr to to me like if i had a vote i probably would have voted for that if it was available but you know judging a match just as a match divorced from anything else but again it was the emotion of Cody's match. It was the moment. It was so much more than just the actual match. But like you said, on top of it, it also happened to be a really good match that both guys pulled off really well and told a great story because sometimes you can make an argument like a match is a moment. It's got a lot of emotion in it, but it's not that great of a match other than that. And this was not the case. So, I mean, like this is the match that, from that point of view is the most memorable match to me of 2022 for sure. And like I said, even at the time, the minute, the second I saw him open up that robe, I said to myself, this guy is made for life. I just knew it. I said, we're going to be seeing that image for years and years to come. And I just knew it. Like, this is the smartest thing. He's a cagey guy. And I knew why he must have been like, there is nothing on earth that is stopping me. And I know he said that from going out and doing this match in part because he knew exactly that, that if he went ahead and did it, that that would cement him in the minds of fans and make sure that they would never forget him. And I think he was right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and a shout out to Seth Rollins, who sometimes gets kind of lost in, in these conversations, uh, but uh, more than held up his aside and, and maybe you know, you could argue, especially working on the guy as hurt as as Cody had to do more than his share, um, and and not just this match, but when you, when you know we've already talked about Cody so much and what a great year he had, and Seth paid, played such an important role in that from the outset, and he's now transitioned into this role where you know he's on his back a lot, uh, uh, but he's so good. I mean, I think Seth Rollins is sort of like low key doing some of the best work of his career. And, and best work in the world. Um, and he he's so effective in that role that you're going to lose a lot. You know, I know it's something that we deal with um, and dealt with when put together the, the 500 because it is kind of the kayfabe list. And so we're um, we're going over win-loss records. And, I mean, there were – Seth went months without winning a match, you know. Right. But along the way, just having all these great, great performances – uh, so th- this is all to say, I, I, I hope something's in it for him <laughs> down the line. And, and I very much think, you know, if, if Cody is the heir apparent 
and um, you get a if he wins a title and then you got to figure out what you do with him, you got to think this is one of the biggest matches that WWE can put on is going yeah. back to that, that feud. You can revisit it on another level, you know, now that he'd be on another level. And uh, also the fact of knowing that Seth has already been there, you know, so it's not yeah. like he's just coming out of nowhere. I also think Gunther is a, is a made yeah. challenger built in contender for sure. And that probably was the intention. So because you have to have, you know, champions only good, especially a babyface champ, but also a heel too. Too is only as good as the people they have lined up to wrestle him. Yeah, and I also think, um, and I'd be fine with this that that if if Cody, we're maybe getting ahead of ourselves, but but uh, if that title does go around Cody's waist, um, come WrestleMania, we're not going to see another whatever it is three year title reign. Um, I do think Cody is the kind of character that that he could lose it and and then win it back, and we might see a few different. Rain. So I, I do think a program with Seth um, could and maybe should include Seth winning the title at, at some point, whether it's SummerSlam or somewhere else, um, or even a Gunther. So um, and and Cody on the chase. So uh, that's definitely a, somewhere they could go. Faction of the Year again, a, a relatively uh, new award goes to the Bloodline. They'd run away with it with forty eight percent of the vote. Yeah, easy peasy. Uh, Blackpool Combat Club first runner up with seventeen percent. Jericho Appreciation Society. With ten percent and the Bullet Club with six uh, percent, um, yeah, I mean, not a lot to say here. Uh, it, it, again, we, we we said that there there wasn't a storyline of the year, but if there was, um, it would have gone to this. Maybe in lieu of a storyline of the year, this is kind of like the honorary storyline of right. the year um, because it, it recognizes that week in week out, it was the most entertaining thing to watch. Entertaining thing to watch on TV was um, the Bloodline. Yeah, without question. And I know people like to joke about this and laugh, but it's very telling to me how, you know, we can talk all we want about the new Triple H regime and Paul Levesque as chief content officer, but it's not lost on me that I'm not saying that the product hasn't improved since he's been in charge because it has, but the most compelling thing on the show week after week reportedly is the thing that he's least hands-on about. It's the mm. thing that Heyman is really seems to be the guy and Roman reigns to a certain degree, but I can't imagine it's got to be, you know, Heyman is the one with the experience. It seems like Heyman is the guy who's, who's orchestrating a lot of that. And now I've also heard too, with the Cody stuff that it's been a lot of Heyman and Cody directly. So it seemed, but again, maybe that is part of the whole brilliance of triple H in charge and the leadership style which Vince never had all due respect of knowing when you do step back and you do Delegating. say yeah, these guys know what they're doing. I don't want to screw this up. This is gold to know when to let them do their thing. And he seems to be doing that where it's like, it almost seems like the main event stuff is in its own different separate universe, you know, which I think it should be. I think a sh strong main events, main event programs can and should carry the show and i think that's something that got lost post attitude era and watered down a lot of the product but main event strong main event programs absolutely should carry the show yeah absolutely yeah and and um yeah i mean i i do think that's a mark of a good leader is delegating a responsibility and in, in this case maybe to to Heyman. and i think triple h sees um First of all, I, I don't know that it ever should have been the role of, of Vince or anybody else. I mean, Vince, because it's his company, I understand him being that hands-on, but this is why you surround yourself with creative people is so they can do that. And and I think too often Vince's involvement in um, these storylines just kind of muddied things up because um, 
you know, clearly whoever was the creative vision behind something had this vision. And then Vince, I think, would be like, well, that's fine. But what if we do this uh, a little different? And, and it sort of feels like, you know, when, when um, um, and, and this really applies to my, my day job more than this than this job, uh, but you, you write something and um, an editor comes in and uh, looks to make a, a change to it while preserving the rest of it. And that change doesn't work, right? If that, that change changes everything. So you can't, you know, if, if, we've if, all if been there. Do that, yeah. you know, then we've got to, we got to change the whole thing. We can't just change this one thing. And, and, and that was sort of Vince's touch so often with, with this stuff. It's like, all right, you could do this, but what if we do this one thing differently? It's like, well, if you do that one thing differently, the whole thing is different, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and part of it is knowing which battles to fight and, yeah. and when to go with the flow. But like, we've all, you know, we've all had that experience is, and, and with someone like Vince, you know, so many people that probably knew that it was better without his involvement. What are you going to do? You can't, you know, yeah. you can't tell him that your sort of hands are tied. And so I think that's actually one of the pluses of having somebody like, like Levesque Triple H as in charge of the creative is he knows when to not overproduce and, and over micromanage. I think that's, that's part of what he's doing intentionally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, tag team of the year goes to FTR. I, I know when we were putting together the tag team list, there was a lot of debate about who is the best tag team in the world. And, and you know, there were arguments to be made uh, between the Usos and the FTR. And when we settled on um, the Usos, I remember uh, part of the conversation was, well, the fans are probably going to pick FTR. <laughs> and so they'll... Yep, there you go. You know, and, and maybe, you know, the, the uh, us picking the Usos, number one, maybe drove more fans towards FTR kind of trying to, to right the ship. Uh, but again, six of one, half a dozen of the other. They're both fantastic teams. The Usos come in um, first runner up at 29%. Um, then the Motor City Machine, I'm sorry, then uh, the Acclaimed and Motor City Machine Guns. But really to me, and you could you tell from the numbers, it was a, a two horse race. Uh, I don't know. You know what? Again, and, and, and um, maybe some of my own biases here, I would have given it to the Usos. Uh, me but- too. Um, I FTR had a great any other year FTR would have had one of the best years in tag team history, but they happen to do it in a year where another team also had that year. Yeah, and and look, um, like I've said, like we had this whole debate with the 500. The Usos were a main event level team. They were a main event draw. They were that kind of a team. Like, and again, I'm not like saying they're as good as these other teams, but like like a road warriors or like a Steiner brothers where your team, they're more than just a tag team in the tag team division, trying to win the tag team titles. Like they transcend that they they're in main event pictures. They're in main event feuds. Like that's where the Usos were at. FTR was never that. Like we said before, FTR is an incredible team and probably the best performing tag team in the business. The, The tag team whose matches I most enjoy watching, but they just weren't presented in that way. They were sabotaged by booking and not only that, but I was dazzled as much as everyone else was by all the titles they were collecting. But then you break it down and you look at it, and they were hardly wrestling. They were hardly defending these titles. They were, and if we're, and if that counts for anything, then you have to look at that. Yeah, they were the AAA champs. They were the IWGP champs, Ring of Honor. You know, they were hardly ever defending those belts. They'd go months and months without even. They were just carrying them around. Whereas the Usos were on house shows, they were on every pay-per-view, they were defending on Raw and SmackDown, and yes, we know it's a work, whatever, you know, we know they didn't win those matches, but but they were out there doing the work, 
and facing challengers, getting their, you know, showing the fans, yes, we can't be beat. We're the champs and we deserve to stay the champs. That's something that FTR was just not doing. Not their fault. They weren't being allowed to do it in some cases. But that's why Usos, to me, would have got my vote. But I understand why people voted for FDR. Completely understand it. They yeah, just wouldn't, agree, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you know, beyond the defenses and, and what they did in, in the ring, I mean, as you touched on, they, they really were the, the big act in WWE. I mean, in, in lieu of Roman Reigns, you know, being around, because this was the year that he pulled back a lot in terms of his schedule, they really were the face of, of um, the bloodline week in and week out and were the stars of the show and um, did an, it an admirable job not jumping too much ahead because this might come up later but but i gotta say you know all this um discussion and focus on <clears throat> sammy and roman and where it goes and the this being the payoff to this amazing storyline i i think maybe down the line there's an even bigger payoff and it's jay uso right i mean um and, and that really goes back to the very, very beginning of the, you know, before there was a bloodline, there was Jay and Roman a couple of years ago when, right. when Roman just started this character and uh, throughout all of this and everybody has played their role um, so well. But to me, Jay Uso has been the MVP from the very beginning. And I think his character and his storyline is sort of the most compelling of, of all of it. And when, when you think of where does this eventually go? I mean, is it is it an Uso versus Uso feud? You got to think that you see that at some point. And the, the payoff beyond that, you got to think, is Jay standing up to his cousin, um, to Roman, go, you know, going full circle. This was the storyline that started all of it. Uh, and and maybe at some point, Jay Uso winning the world title. And, I, and I'm not saying he's ready for that yet, right now, but I absolutely think that we could get there and um, right. that he could be that kind of act. Because I think, um, I think Jay is just great. He's great. What, what I think they probably do with him is... You know, obviously he's not in the title picture right now, but I think he's the kind of a of a person where, especially if they break him away, he's really got to, I mean, unfortunately, as much as it pains me to say, if they really want to go to the next level with him, the Usos tag team needs to go away. Like he really needs it's to a shame be. because they're such a great team, but I, I know, but, I agree. but yeah. he needs I mean, to be untethered. Be yeah. He needs to be untethered and really made his own thing. And what, but what I see with him really is, I, I think they may be thinking this is, He's down the road for Roman when Roman is no longer the champ and right, when maybe. they so that they could then say, yeah, it would be nice. We'll have a, a nice bow on the story. J Jay actually beats Roman in the end, but we don't have to put the belt on him. Just a like, personal feud. Yeah, right. that may be where they go with it, because I don't know if they want Jay Uso WWE champion. I don't know. I'm not saying they don't. I just don't think they do. But I think it might be a nice storyline to have him eventually triumph over Roman. I don't think we're there yet. I don't think you could put – obviously, you can't put the world title on on Jay now. But when you kind of look ahead and, and you think what the trajectory of this is, you know, Sami Zayn gave an interesting interview with Ariel Hawani where they discussed, could you be the guy? And he, and he sort of said, well, I could be the world champion and I can make the talk show appearances and, and I could wrestle in the main events and, and all that. Um, but the reality is I can never be that guy kind of because of how he looks and how he wrestles and sort of like what the character is and the, and the personality and, and none of it. And, and, and I kind of agree with him and, and, I, and I want to have that discussion a little bit further in a moment. I think Jey Uso could be that guy, you know, because mm -hmm. I think Jey Uso does check a lot of the boxes. He's cool. Right. I mean, like, I, I, I think he's the kind of guy that fans, you know, a, a lot of the same energy that, that Roman has is that, 
Um, he's easy to get behind. And, and I think the role he's been giving in the storyline has just made him so sympathetic and, and likable, maybe even more than, than Sami Zayn. And um, we can, you know, him coming through the crowd on Friday night to be there for his brother, that he's had that loyalty. Um, and again, to, to me, maybe the best promo in, in all of WWE, uh, it's Jey Uso. I, I just think he's, um, he, he's been so good and again not there yet but i don't i don't doubt that in in two years he could be that guy um let's talk about a woman of the year bianca Belair takes it with 21 percent of the vote um yeah i mean i, I don't want to say a no-brainer but but i think a fine choice uh jade cargill at first runner-up at 14 percent uh thunder rosa at 13 percent i gotta disagree with that one i don't think thunder rosa should even be on this i mean i, I don't think she had that good a year at all no and, uh, not at all Britt Baker at number nine. Um, we could talk about all these, but I do want to talk about some of the people who, who are interesting that don't show up here. Ronda Rousey is not even like on the radar anymore. And and you think about it, she came back early last year and it was the big return of, of Ronda Rousey. And she was around really all year. So it wasn't that like, you know, there were these these big uh, gaps. Um, but but even now looking to, to WrestleMania where you would think it's somewhere where you would lean on her as a name, as a star, um, nobody's even really talking about it. And and I guess there's talk that she's going to be in a tag team match. She almost uh, had no and, reaction when she came back. It was like, yeah, nothing. what, what a fall for Ronda. It was a very, it was a very boring segment, honestly, before and after she got involved in it. I think the role that's best suited to her now, what they could get the most bang for their buck is something that she just would not agree to do, which is a problem, which is, I think now she could be the credible person that can lose to other people to help build them up where they could say, Whoa, she beat Ronda Rousey. Holy cow. And I just don't think Ronda envisions herself in that role yeah. of becoming like the AJ styles of the women's division, you know, where it's like, wow, you beat who, you know, like, I don't know if she wants to be that person. And, uh, you know, so this may be like an impasse, you know? Yeah. And, and I imagine for, for, she's got to have one of the, the biggest contracts in WWE, um, and it just seems like they're not getting their money's worth, uh, out of her. And, and she sort of reminds me of Logan Paul that you think about that first year of her in the company and what a natural she was right off the bat and really took to it and, and did great. And, and I don't know what it is exactly that's missing right now, but it's just not working. Hasn't worked all year. Um, I would like to see Liv Morgan in this mix on, on a runner, runner up spot. Um, you know, maybe in place of Thunder Rosa. Um, but yeah, other, what did you want to say? No, I was going to say with the Logan Paul and Ronda Rousey comparison, I think, you know, if they're not careful, I know it doesn't seem this way, but it didn't seem that way with Ronda either a number of years ago. This, I think the same thing could happen with Logan Paul if they're not careful, because the problem is, and it happened with Ronda, and it seems to be very clearly what happened is that she really made an explosive impression because now in hindsight, it seems like each match she did, it was like so carefully choreographed and orchestrated to perfection with you know to get the maximum uh response and i think that's also what's happening with logan paul where it's like you know he's not on the road or anything he's not like getting out there and getting experience he's coming in he's doing one special appearance they work like hell they put him in like with Shawn michaels and all these people to make sure he's perfect and then he's out so if that's all it is if it's smoke and mirrors and they try to like do more with him he could become another ronda rousey so they might want to like learn from that yeah. mistake you know what i mean it's just a thought that popped into my head so he doesn't become the male ronda rousey 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. As far as Bianca, um, you know, not a lot to say. I think she's great. I think she checks uh, all the boxes. I think she's a great representative for the company. Every time I've had the opportunity to interview her a couple of times and um, just likable, smart, great spokesperson for the company. Incredible in the ring. I mean, she stole WrestleMania two years uh, in a row. Um, everything she does looks great. She's strong. She's charismatic. Um, again, I sort of, I, I, another one, I, I don't know what they do with her at WrestleMania. I mean, um, I, I expected Ripley to challenge her. I think that would have been a money match, um, uh, with, without Ripley, I don't know what you do. I mean, Becky doesn't have a match, but that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to do that. Uh, they'd have a great match, but two baby faces, um, I don't know if that works, you know, Bianca's in a position where she could headline one of those two nights, um, because I, I don't know what the other main event would would be. At least right now, it's not super clear. Uh, but I also, well, do you have any expectations what what she'll do at WrestleMania? You know, no. I, yeah, I, I, I was uh, well. I was like everybody happy. else. I was like everyone else. But we were just assuming. Oh, okay. Bianca versus Ripley at WrestleMania. Finally, like I think that would have been great, and they could have built it up. I mean, I know, I know it comes out of nowhere, but th that's where you know that's why you have creative writers. I mean, you you build it up into something. Um, I think she's great. I think she's a she's an easy pick for this, in my opinion, for this award because she's a natural baby face. I know some people see I love her even on promos, and I know some people say like that's her weakness. I think she comes across very natural. She is not perfect, and I think that that doesn't work for everybody. I think it works for her. I'm from that era still of like to me, a baby face doesn't have to be as on a promo babyface should be more real should be more like you know indignant and natural and not so much playing a part where everything is perfectly slick and i, I don't think a babyface needs to be like that i i think she comes across as very real at warts and all in terms of like the way you know like to me a great example is um sasha banks i thought she was she's terrible on promos uh, I'll, I'll say it just terrible <laughs> but but part of it but again she comes across as very real and natural and but it's just bad it just doesn't she just can't sell her emotions whereas with bianca it's completely you i feel it I, I i love she's great in the ring she looks like a wrestler you know she's great on the mic as a baby face um, I think she's a total package as a woman wrestler. To me, she's always smiling, and I think yes. that's kind of like a weird thing. Um, and, and and it's one of the challenges that that baby faces um, have, uh, you know, to just be out there looking really happy. And she always does. And I think it's super endearing. I mean, I, I was there in, in Tampa when she won her first world title, and uh, her walking to the ring. I mean, she was almost like a fan. I mean, looking around, how happy she was, and you know, just smiling ear to ear. And after she won the title. She wouldn't leave. She wanted to spend all night there in in the ring, you know, just soaking it in, hugging everybody. Had you know Montez there and and the whole family, uh, and I again, I just thought it was super endearing, super mm -hmm. um, relatable. So um, I think she's great. You could also, you know, where does it naturally go? The the, the day that she you turn her heel, it's going to mean something, you know, yeah. um, because she's so effective as a baby face. So good for her. What one last word here, wrestler of the year, no surprise, Roman Reigns, 34% um, wins it. John Moxley at 23%, uh, Bianca Belair at 7% and Cody Rhodes at six. I, th I think these are all spot on. I mean, I think this went exactly um, the right way. 
And what can you say about Roman? I mean, he had one of the great years in, in wrestling uh, history. Interesting that early in the year, we were sort of worried about like, well, Roman's hardly wrestling or whatever. You know, how are they going to put on these shows without Roman um, being there every week? And what it, it did was make him feel like a bigger deal. When you mm -hmm. got Roman, it meant a lot more. And That's what I said was going to happen, remember? <laughs> and, and every match he, he did felt like an event. Uh, and beyond that, they were all really good. I mean, the guys just become... Um, you know, is is he in the discussion um, already as a Hall of Fame talent? No question. I I mean, no question in my mind that he's somebody that if he never wrestled again, which God forbid, I don't want that to happen. But if he never wrestled again, he absolutely should go in. If he were to retire, officially announce his retirement tomorrow, I would say put him in the Hall of Fame this year to me. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, I, I don't know if we'd say that much more. We'll about to talk about him uh, more now. Uh, we'll talk some current events, but uh, a, a clear choice. Uh, real quick, did want to touch on our uh, Stanley Weston uh, Awards. And this usually was one award, essentially a Lifetime Achievement uh, Award. I think Kevin has been trying to play catch up with some people that uh, maybe should have gotten this award um, some time ago. So there are three this year. Uh, I got no problem with any of them. Uh, Manami Toyota, uh, George Napolitano, a legendary photographer uh, for us in wrestling magazines, and Bill After. So so two kind of PWI guys and then a, a Japanese wrestling legend. Uh, any thoughts on, on all of those? Any of those? No, they're, they're great picks. I think Bill, especially especially with his ties to the magazine. I can't believe he never got it. I mean, <laughs> but that's but, long overdue. And I remember but part of it is that he's been part of the family so long. It's like you almost forget like, oh, right. yeah. <laughs> you know, right. But it's almost like I think some people had your reaction like, oh, didn't he didn't he get that already? You know, and yeah. I think, you know, because Stu got it. And I think so. It's very appropriate. Bill should get it. And it's interesting. I, I'm uh, Bill and George are both phenomenal. And they're like. You know, they, they've been in the business together all this time. They've been they started around the same time. Like there's those two guys that you can see at ringside and all these classic matches running around taking pictures. You know, I think it's very fitting that they get it together like that, you know. And, and, and as far as Manami Toyota, I mean, you're talking about really Japanese, American or whatever. One of the greatest women wrestlers of all time. I mean, just hugely influential, hugely talented um, from a category that doesn't get enough of these awards. So I think, uh, you know, applause to Kevin for really kind of thinking in a wider scope in terms of awarding these, these honors. I think it's great. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, that was one really long plug for this magazine. Go <laughs> pick it up. PWI-online.com. Uh, uh, again, just a blast. This kind of thing that you keep on your coffee table for months and months and months and pick it up and, and uh, devour it little by little, go back to it. So a fun issue. Um, go check it out. I uh, don't want to take too long here because we got almost an hour or already more than an hour uh, just talking about um, the issue, which is well-deserved and important issue. Uh, but uh, a lot's happened since we last uh, talked. We've discussed some of it here in, in the context of the awards. But um, Royal Rumble came and went. We uh, ostensibly know what the main event of WrestleMania is going to be, Cody Rhodes and Roman Reigns. Um, and the, the other part of it is at the Royal Rumble, we witnessed what a lot of people, myself, are calling uh, one of the greatest wrestling angles of, of, of all time, certainly in our generation with um, the, the the fallout or, or, or the breaking up of the bloodline and Sammy finally standing up to, to Roman Reigns. Just an, an incredible, incredible, memorable angle, you know, perfect kind of crescendo to this um, storyline that played out for, for so many months. Uh, what, what's the last, before we begin this, you know, where is this for you in terms of like all time? I mean, when I saw it, I was thinking mega powers exploding, but even in the last 
15, 20 years, there have been a couple that come to mind. Batista and Triple H, right, heading into WrestleMania um, 21. I think this is better, but that was great. And um, the one that, that some people might might forget was Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho, that their feud in 2008, which um, I loved. I thought was just, again, picture perfect. Uh, Jericho punching Shawn's, you know, uh, wife by accident. But, I mean, what that did to, to make it that much more heated. Um, this might be better than all of those. It's so this is a, a category where it's very hard to compare because I've been having the same debates too. Because wrestling being what it is and that it changes so much over the years, like storylines are far more elaborate than they, they ever used to be. And so it's hard to compare from era to era. Like you mentioned the mega powers, and I think the mega powers was probably the it was the greatest storyline to me of that classic WWF Hulkamania era. It was. But how can you compare it, I mean, to something like the Bloodline? Because it was so much simpler. I don't think it involved as many moving parts. It wasn't something that was like subtly changing on a weekly basis. It, it, it was a, it was, it there was, there were little things. Remember, you know, were, hand slipping? Yes, <laughs> there were. But of its era, that one. But in terms of like, I, I might still, I might want to say Austin versus McMahon only because that was one that I feel like was the first example of of something like the bloodline, which is a very modern type of storyline where you are trying to fill weekly um, um, destination television every single week and doing your best to keep it going and keep it interesting. Um, I think I, I might say it was it's been the best since Austin versus McMahon. So here is uh, uh, the problem, if you want to call it that, and it's a good problem to have, is that, um, you know, they, they climax with, with this storyline and, and uh, Sammy standing up to, to Roman, hitting him with the chair, him getting the beat down. Um, it's the biggest storyline WWE has put on um, in years. And yet it seems that's not the plan for WrestleMania, right? And, and some, you know, they're almost a victim of, of their own good booking that, that now um, this in, incredible storyline that everybody's so hot for um, people want to see it, but, but that's not the plan. And, and I think it was after a survivor series, we had the conversation, um, you know, is it possible that this could be a WrestleMania main event, Sammy and Roman. And now some months later, uh, not only is it possible, a lot of people argue that that is the match, that that's what it should be. Uh, they've got, again, kind of a good problem. And what's fascinating is that this was the year that it was supposed to be Dwayne Johnson. And and mm. the thought was anything short of that is going to be a huge disappointment. And now I think like Dwayne Johnson would be the disappointment, right? I mean, now, right. it, you know, what, what you've got Sami Zayn, which everybody wants to see. We're seeing it in a week or so now at Elimination Chamber, but it, it does have, um, the 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 gravitas of of a WrestleMania main event, but you also have a, a very real WrestleMania main event. And what's incredible for me was like they they did that storyline uh, at at the Royal Rumble, and then Cody wins and is on his way. And you know, I think this is a lot of the sentiment is well, how are you going to make us excited for Cody and and Roman when you've got Sammy queued up here and and that's so hot? And then they do the angle last week with Cody and Heyman and you're like, I've got to see this match. Right. You that know? was one of the, the best segments in the history of Monday night raw. I right. So now, you know, back to back, you have these like two incredible segments selling big matches. They're both red hot matches. Uh, again, I think a really good problem to have, but, but what do you do? You know, um, I, I I'll, I'll give my thoughts. I, I do think WrestleMania should be Cody 
and uh, Roman Reigns. The other kind of, you know, monkey wrenches, there are two nights of WrestleMania. Is there a way to do both? Well, it reminds me a little bit, not quite, but I got the feeling of, do you remember what happened with WrestleMania 8 where <clears throat> the ma- it seemed like the match that people wanted, maybe I'm off base, was Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair. Everybody was thinking, oh, this is going to be the Hogan-Flair WrestleMania. Oh, my God, biggest WrestleMania ever. But Vince already had in his mind from a year earlier, Hogan versus Psycho Sid, Sid Vicious, Sid Justice, whatever, and and brought him in with a promise that this is going to be a WrestleMania match next year. And he went through with it. Now, there's some similarities where I think Cody was brought in with that understanding. I I really do that. You're this is what we're going to do with you. And this is why you should come here. And so now things have happened which maybe make some fans think twice and say, well, maybe we shouldn't go through with this now. Look at all this stuff. But the difference between the current situation, I think, and the WrestleMania 8 situation is I think that going with the original instinct, which is Cody in this case, is still actually the way to go. Like I think with WrestleMania 8, I think they made a mistake. They should have changed gears. Too bad. Sorry, Sid. You can play softball if you don't like it. Our main event is going to be Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair. But this time, I think they're doing the right thing. In fact, I pray, I really, really don't even want to say it out loud in case I jinx this, that they don't make it a triple threat. Yeah, uh, I can't help but think that that uh, at least is on the table, right? As I, I know it's on the table. It's got to be. I, I, right. But don't as do a, it. A, and, and again, going back to 2014 and – Daniel Bryan coming up and being red hot and they had decided already on Batista and Randy Orton, which was so tone deaf at the time. Nobody wanted to see Batista and Randy Orton. And so what did they do? They just threw Daniel Bryan into it and, and you know, it worked. Uh, um, they made it into the triple threat and uh, it worked. But this, you know, the, the, the problem is you can have a really good triple threat match. It, it takes real uh, a careful storytelling in that it's got to be a three-way feud. I, I think one really effective example um, years ago was Ronda, Becky, and Charlotte at WrestleMania, the, the 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 main event, the first women's main event at WrestleMania, where the feud really was everybody had a problem with everybody else. This doesn't seem that way, right? I mean, they both have a problem with Roman, but what's the, the story with Cody and Sammy? It's not really there. You know, can, can you get it there? Can you do something between now and, and then? Well, um, I suppose... But it, it, it doesn't feel as important. Also, you know, a couple of things to consider to consider is that they're going to do the match with with Sammy and Roman. It's going to be in Montreal. That crowd's going to be super red hot. It makes this show um, a lot bigger deal than it would otherwise. And past that, there is a payoff that you could do with Sammy at WrestleMania that, um, you know, you could even headline in one of the nights. And, and that is. Sammy and and Kevin against the Usos for for the tag title, and that um, you know it's not a world title match, but that absolutely could be a WrestleMania main event. I think it's that big a deal. Well, two things: <clears throat> the only quibble I would have I have with the Heyman and Cody Rhodes segment, which was like I said, one of the best promo segments I've ever seen, is it should have happened after Elimination Chamber because I, I think that That's it yeah it really it sort of. Uh, Cody did his best, and I thought he was brilliant to say, you know, good luck, Sami Zayn, and I could be wrestling Sami Zayn, and that's important. But 
you're basically just telegraphing it. Like it's going to be Cody and Roman at WrestleMania. You can't not do that. That's right. You've telegraphed. Right? How could they not yeah. deliver it? So I feel like maybe they should have held off on mm-hmm. do it after where, you know, it's like full speed ahead, you know? But the other thing is, so I think they're aware of that. And I think what they're trying to do, I think the Roman Sammy match is really going to be just used as a stepping stone to build heat between Usos and Sammy and Kevin Owens. I I think what they're trying to do, and I think it even started at the Rumble, is they're trying to shift the heat and shift the direction so that the beef becomes less between directly Roman and Sammy, but between Sammy and Jay, that that becomes more of the beef that like now we think Jay is on Sammy's side. He's willing to reject his family. We got the fist bump last week. And then, and then he turns on him. You know what I mean? And then, and then it becomes like, no, I am going to go with my family over you. And then the heat is kind of shifted where that takes care of Sammy. Now Sammy's got something to do. And in my opinion, it does not feel like a cop out because you have the added level of the friendship of Sammy and Kevin coming back together, you know, coming through the fire and, and now they're friends and they're, they're tighter than they've ever been. So I think there's enough there where personally, a lot of fans might not agree, but I think it makes up for the fact that it, the storyline is not Sammy conquers all and beats Roman and becomes a world champion. I I, I don't think that needs to happen. I a hundred percent agree. Uh, and, and I think, you know, um, the, the payoff there, of the Usos with this this historic tag title reign going for whatever it is, you know, two years, longest title reign ever. Um, the move here would be to have Zayn and Owens beat them for, for the tag championship at WrestleMania, and the place will become absolutely unglued. And that visual of, um, of Kevin and Sammy, as you touched on, I mean, this, you know, maybe the longest storyline in, in wrestling <laughs> history. I mean, I... You're going back to the, the the Ring of Honor days and before that, I mean, yeah, these, these two guys years. came together in in um, uh, the Montreal Independent scene. Now that payoff, winning the the tag championship uh, at WrestleMania uh, again, in what I think could absolutely be the main event of Night One of WrestleMania. It's that that big a match, totally. and it probably will be. I, I think it probably yeah. will be. Yeah, and I and I think it's a fine attraction, and I, and I think it would be satisfying to fans. And going back to to what I talked about before about you know can Sammy be the guy and and that's another thing you have to think about with WrestleMania uh, beyond the match you deliver on that night is where do you go from here? Um, Cody, if he wins that title, and I I wouldn't say it's it's um, for sure. I, I I think he'd be the betting favorite. You know, right? I mean, I I, I put it at. 60 40 75 25 that that cody leaves wrestlemania with the world title um but the point is as we touched on gunther um seth rollins there's loads of way you know cody can be that guy he can carry the company he um is a proven ratings draw he's a proven proven uh, a box office draw uh you know does he ultimately sputter out flame out we'll see but but he's at worth taking that risk with and investing in um because they can use another top guy, and he's that guy. Sammy, as great as he's been in this storyline, um, I, I got to say, I just don't see him as that guy. I think he's the perfect guy for this role. I, uh, you know, uh, but really, it, it, you know, carry this out to to its conclusion. So, so Sammy beats 
Roman Reigns for the world title and maybe they run it back and have some rematches, or whatever you and and then what? You know, Sami Zayn is your defending world champion. Um, it just doesn't work. He's he's not no. that guy. He's more uh, he's more in the Mick Foley mold, I would say. Yes, yeah, you know. Uh, and it's not a slight on him. It's just no. uh, that that it, it's not what he br- he brings to the table. And as great as he is, you know, I I do think that that um, it it might be. I think he's been really good in an excellent storyline, right? I don't think he's the MVP of this of the storyline. I think he's played his role fine, but you know, if this, if this is an ensemble cast. You know, like right. the bloodline is is nominated for best pitcher and should win best pitcher. Sami Zayn does not win best actor um, for right. his role uh, in it. You know, and again, I, I'd argue that maybe Jay Uso does. Um, but again, I, I I think people are are super hot over something, rightfully so. The best storyline WWE has told in a long, long time. But but maybe that uh, losing some perspective about. Um, how you really play this out. I just don't see Sami Zayn beating Roman Reigns and being the defending world champion at, at WrestleMania. It just doesn't seem to make um, a lot of sense. Uh, but, you know, all, all these pieces somewhat being in their place now, um, how are you feeling about WrestleMania? I I feel very good about it. I, I think, um, and not just because I have every single match in my he- head, how it's going to work out, but because I feel there's enough momentum they have enough potential matches. They have enough people who are over. The company seems to be on a hot streak that I think they're going to put on a hell of a show. Like, like they're they're on a roll right now. Like, uh, you know, I was having this debate with somebody, and I think it's really valid. Um, you know, TV ratings and and even live attendance, but especially TV, it's not the most reliable metric anymore. Like, people could say, well, you know, they're only get they're not even getting two million people watching Raw, but. I think that's a, that's almost a very outdated metric. And I really feel like um, given the momentum they have and the numbers they are doing and the direction it's going in, which is up, that if this was the era where, you know, people were watching TV more, let's say, you know, whatever you want to say, 20 years ago, whatever it was, 15 years ago, I think they'd be doing tw- – the, their ratings would be currently – twice as high as they are now, if not more. I, I think you'd be talking about threes and fours every week. It would be that kind of a thing. And it's it, it's just it just goes to show that TV on the whole is weak right now, but especially even when you look at all the numbers, WWE's numbers are among the highest, especially in key demographics on TV compared to a lot of other TV, which is going down the drain. I mean, most TV that's watched today is like CNN and Fox News. <laughs> And, yep. and they're they're just still killing it in a very in a shrinking marketplace. So I think yeah. they're on a roll, and I think WrestleMania is going to be a, a very very solid show. Two nights. Yeah, I I, I think again the, the the ultimate sort of like telling thing of this is that um, for the better part of the last year, I think this was the year that everybody assumed it was going to be the Rock and Roman Reigns, and it's the biggest match in wrestling. And I think if they went and they announced um, today that. The Rocks agreed, and we're you know we're going to shift everything, and and this is going to be the match. I think fans would be disappointed, like ah, uh, you know, really, we got to see the Rock and Roman Reigns. I mean, I think that's how hot people are for these other storylines, you know, whether yeah. it's uh, Sammy or, or Cody. So um, yeah, they're doing something right. So anyhow, a fun discussion. Uh, uh, Brian, anything uh, you want to plug before we get out of here? Um, just my own podcast, I guess. It's been I've been having a lot of fun with it lately. I just passed a full year. It's called Shut Up and Wrestle. We we had our most recent episode, which where I brought Keith Elliott Greenberg on to remember Lanny Poffo. 
which um, you know, actually, by the time this comes out, it may not be the most recent episode, but but it's one I think people should check out. It was really, I, I thought, heartfelt, and I was glad that Keith made time to do it. But um, so it, the show's called Shut Up and Wrestle, and people can find it wherever they find their podcasts, including where they find our show. Real quick, what is Lanny Poffo's uh, lasting legacy? I, I guess we should say something about that here. You know, I've said uh, when I heard uh, the unfortunate news of his passing, a guy who came around maybe 10 years too early, because you think of him with that skill set in the uh, the cruiserweight scene in WCW just 10 years later, yeah. uh, you know, how, how much more of an impact he he could have uh, made. And and I think he actually was employed by WCW during that time, but he was. literally never wrestled. I, I mean, I don't ever remember seeing he him. Was. I think he did a house show or something. Yeah. He, was, he was way ahead of his time. He was doing... Um, moonsaults, um, standing moonsaults, like at a time when and I think being, again, you, uh, not to interrupt you, but but what's fascinating about that is that when he would do that stuff, he'd sort of be mocked by wrestling uh, announcers, whether it was a grill monsoon or whatever. Right. It's like, oh, you know, why would you break that out in the middle of a fight? And and again, right? Well, that was almost when we talked about that in the show with Keith, where like that was almost part of his gimmick of being like this kind of silly fancy pants kind of a guy like oh you know overdoing things and just being too precious in his wrestling style yeah. like that's how it was looked at then but but i think what he did and what his legacy what he did that was great is since he came along in a time where just doing that wasn't enough he he leaned into the character work and no matter what you say about him and you know he wasn't main event star or whatever he definitely wasn't the star that randy was fine but he was memorable nobody forgot him everybody remembers leap who was watching anyway leaping lani Pafo. everybody remembers the genius everybody remembers that he beat hulk hogan on saturday yeah. night's main event by count out that's like a big moment and it was because he was so good at what he did he was a natural he wasn't bitter about it he wasn't one of these guys going Oh, looking at his brother and wishing he could be like that. And Keith confirms it in the show. He did not feel that way. He was happy with the hand he got dealt. He took what was given to him and he and he made the absolute most of it. And I think that's his legacy. And I think another important part of his legacy is Macho Man's brother. And you'd think sure. that um, th that would be uh, uh, maybe a bad thing, you know, living in the shadow. But we should all be, you know, lucky enough to have a brother like that because the the love from Lanny for for Randy and the the advocacy um, uh, was unending, and it was so clear that he he truly truly loved his brother and protected that legacy fiercely um, and just super honorable. And you said ne never came off as a guy who felt like he was left in the shadows or anything like that. Um, I, I think you recognize that his brother was a one of a kind talent, one of the biggest stars of his era, one of the best wrestlers of his era, and um, w wanted to protect that that and pay tribute to it. And, and uh, again, I just uh, a, a character, a strange guy. I mean, I, I've talked yes. to him too, and and he is that guy. He was the guy you'd see on television. He was uh, the genius. I mean, one. to a yeah. certain degree, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the well, genius yeah. was Lanny Poffa with the volume turned up. But I mean, yeah. like, yeah, he he was that was part of the things. And, and I'll just say that, too, that made it sad is that he was this torchbearer of the Poffo family legacy. He was keeping the name alive. He was keeping Randy's legacy alive. He helped get him into the Hall of Fame. He probably wouldn't have gone in. Definitely wouldn't have without him. And, um, you know, now it's truly the end of an era of the Poffo family.
Yeah, you think about Randy and Angelo, their mother, um, even Liz. You Elizabeth, know, sure. Yes. Yeah. All of that. Yeah, a real shame. Yeah. Anyway, our condolences certainly to the Poffo family on the loss of Lanny. Um, all right. Thanks, everybody, for uh, tuning in. We'll be back soon. Mm-hmm.